Welcome on into the show. My name is Danny Gallagher, and I'm joined by the Snare Campaign Provocateur, the surge to my white claw. It's Benny Horowitz. What's up, Danny? How's it going? What's today? happening? Danny, I got a question for you yeah. right off the bat to yeah. kick it off, okay? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Now, I posed this on another podcast, and it's just it's just racing through my mind. Who do you think has had the most robust sexual life inside of the White House? Oh, inside of the White House. Yeah. Which president and first lady in your lifetime oh, has well, had that... the most robust sexual experience inside of the White House? Now, when we say robust, do we mean... Um, like they're getting up the most shots per minute, like there's Steph Curry out here, or is it about quality? Because I, no, I would, I'm, I'm gonna go, I'm gonna go quantity for this. Like, who in your lifetime was knocking boots the most in their four years? Like on a you know weekly per capita basis here. You know who I oddly think it is? I, it's probably W. <laughs> that was my guess. <laughs> oh, really? Wow. We're simpatico. Because yeah. I would think that, you know, the Obamas had like great date nights and they probably yes. had the best quality of For sex sure. in the White House. But For in sure. terms of like getting off all, off those shots, it had to be W. Yeah. 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 I couldn't agree more. The Obamas, I said, are like, uh, if, you know, they, they go to sleep every night reading <laughs> together at yeah. like 9.15 and they smooch. They have like a great relationship, you know, but, but yeah, I don't see the activity. And then I could see W just on a random night, kicking a few back, <laughs> kind of walking around the halls of the white house, just like not really knowing what to do. A little drunk, you know, Yeah. just slipped into Laura's room for a quickie. <laughs> I think I could see it. Wow. All right, Danny, we're on the same page. I, I love it. I think part of Trump's problem and why he was so radioactive is because it was probably the first time in his life he wasn't that sexually active because <laughs> the people that, that you know, like wanted him, he was like, I would never touch you with a 10-foot pole. I think I think you're missing it, actually. I think it was the first time in his life he didn't have access to, like, pay for women as often as he used to. <laughs> you know, like, it was the first time he was kind of locked up. It's a little difficult to sneak you know, young prostitutes into the White House and stuff. He certainly wasn't having sex with his wife. So, yeah, he was probably pretty pent up. He's probably feeling a lot better these days, uh, you know, at the massage parlor with Robert Kraft. <laughs> Did the Trump kids live in the White House or, or those separate? Because I would imagine that Kushner and Ivanka were having some pretty maniacal sex. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, they probably had like machines. One of them <laughs> likes to get beat up in the bedroom. I'd say Jared probably. Yeah, yeah. That would explain their investment in Long Branch. Anyway, <laughs> you know, let's just get into the show today. <laughs> no on. more screwing around like the presidents in the White House. Let's get into this day of music history. Do, 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 do. All right, well, quick note. Yeah. Is that in this day in 1962, one of my personal heroes and legends of punk rock and hardcore, Ian MacKay, was born. I just want to note that day and thank him for his service. Hmm. I got to meet him once. I paced around the room of a studio like a little kid, afraid to talk to him. Finally talked to him, stuck my nose up his ass for a few minutes. But I truly thank the stars being aligned on that day, nine months before Ian MacKay was born, because he's very much helped my life and a bunch of other weird kids. Now, the one I want to talk about happened in 1969, and it was when Elektra Records dropped the MC5 from their roster after the group took out an ad in an underground newspaper uh, castigating a department store called Hudson's for not stocking their album, Kick Out the Jams. Hmm. They didn't stock it because... The uh, anthem, of course, said kick out the jams, motherfucker. I guess Hudson's didn't enjoy this. They had signed uh, MC5 signed to Electra with the Stooges only six months before. And for radio, they switched motherfuckers with brothers and sisters. So kick out the jams, brothers and sisters. But Hudson had the uncensored version of the record and they refused to stock it. That raised the ire of uh, MC5's manager at the time named John Sinclair, 
apparently who was a counterculture revolutionary hmm. who headed the radical White Panther Party in Detroit. Oh. So this guy had no problem, uh, you know, shaking some feathers around the city. Hmm. He had a local artist draw something up, and their ad read, kick out the jams, motherfucker, and kick in the door if the store won't sell you the album on Electra." Uh, apparently it also included the Electra logo mm. and added a line saying fuck Hudson's. So MC five, I mean, 1969, they're considered one of the godfathers of punk rock. Mm. I think this story kind of lays credence to the fact that that's true, that they went to toe to toe with a local department store, this hardcore. Um, now Hudson subsequently retaliated by threatening not only to pull their record, but every Electra album mm. from their shelves. Uh, the album wasn't doing that well commercially because Kick Out the Jams peaked at number 82. So, of course, Electra uh, backed out and played played Pussyfoot to, uh, mm. to Hudson's and then just dropped the MC5 from the label uh, altogether. So eventually uh, they were off Electra, got picked up by Atlantic. You know, all their records flopped commercially. And by Mm. 1973, they were done. That's crazy. So again, this is one of the reasons I believe in things such as player empowerment. (laughs) And I believe in the industry skipping the suits and the labels if they can. Because it's always the same shit. (laughs) The guy who owned Electra obviously had more loyalty to a department store called Hudson's than a revolutionary rock band called the MC5. Who owns Electra these days? Are they part of a massive conglomerate? Oh, fuck. I don't even know. The labels I'm fucking on, I don't even know who owns anymore because they get gobbled and sold and eaten up so much and different heads. Like That industry is insane. You know, they literally have an industry mag that yeah, like it's the same as like free agency signings <laughs> it would be like DraftKings magazine for for the industry about like oh this guy went from vp of flaw 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 <laughs> over to uh executive vp of flaw 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 over here check out his bio it's some it's some stupid shit i imagine that whole database acting like you know like signing free agents in like 2k where you're like oh i can get a drummer yeah. with like a 96 percent overall let's <laughs> add right. him to this group that, that'd be pretty cool but yeah yeah, yeah give me the tim lacastro <laughs> 99 speed whenever ea wants to make that i'll be right there yeah i'm all over it all right benny well on this date in 2001 joey ramon passed away at the age of 49 after succumbing to his long battle with lymphatic cancer um on november 30th 2003 uh a block on east second street in new york city was officially renamed joey ramon place uh, and this actually ties in perfectly to where we're going next but i don't know if uh you have any recollection where you were that day uh 2001 pretty trying year for the country yeah i mean i i don't remember exactly like where i was that day um like you said it wasn't a total shock because joey had been sick for a while but i do think it brought like somehow it brought the ramones into like the next generation and Mm. um it was it was impactful and it still is it's one of those uh punk rock icons like strummer that you lost kind of suddenly and i don't think people realized the impact and legacy that was really happening until quite later um so i think the legacy of joey ramone is still holding stronger or as as strong as it was even in 2001 you know was really weird this happened a couple years ago at sirius they were launching uh the studio 54 channel and okay. the two other Ramon brothers were there just kind of mingling like among like industry people and like subscribers. And I the, the entire time I, I kept thinking, be like, wouldn't Studio 54 be like the antithesis of the Ramones? I don't know. It doesn't <laughs> seem like 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 the, the place to be for them. But who am Probably I? at the time. I'd imagine at the time that was not their vibe. They were strictly Lower East Side at that point. Yeah. Um, but I mean, I can also say it's one of those... You know, he never left New York City. Mm. And I know people his age and because of 
my unique career. Hmm. I know a bunch of people who were very good friends with Joey Ramone and had a close relationship with him. And man, that is a person who very, very much checks out. <laughs> Every story about this guy paints him as a sweet, thoughtful, caring, smart, interesting, a true artist, true punk rocker, you know, like the real fucking deal for sure. That's awesome. That's really cool. It's always cool when, you know, the people you grew up, you, you find that there are as advertised. But yeah. Our first headline today, Benny, Deadline Hollywood, or, you know, bring this back to New York City. Pete Davidson is set to star as Joey Ramone in an upcoming Netflix biopic about the Ramones legend uh, based off the book I Slept with Joey Ramone. Uh, the movie will be based on Mickey Lee's book by the same name. Netflix and STX Film uh, will develop and produce the biopic, which is being made with the cooperation of the Joey Ramone estate. That doesn't always happen, so good on them. Uh, Adam Driver, the actor, was reportedly also in consideration for the role, but they went with Pete Davidson, Benny, the floor is yours. Well, I didn't even hear that part. Adam Driver. <laughs> That's a way better great actor. casting for Joey Ramone. <laughs> that sounds perfect. An actual fucking actor. Yeah. Thank you. All right. Let's stop real quick. Yeah. So the book, I Slept with Joey Ramone, is legit. Super mm. cool. Uh, written by Joey's brother, Mickey Lee. And... This treatment was apparently based directly off that. So it's really, I think, a story about him, I guess, and less about the Ramones. I'm not sure how they'd want to play it. So on first instinct, I'd go, cool, I'd love to see a Joey Ramone thing. There's a couple red flags here, even before we get into Pete Davidson. A, is they're presenting this as a biopic. Now, I don't know if you've watched these things, particularly on Netflix, but it's a hard sell making these things not cheesy Hmm. you have this uh back and forth with the interviews and it's very hard to just not make it feel like a lifetime picture and not make it feel kind of corny you know so right off the bat i think you're dancing with the devil there the second part about it is his collaborator is a jason orley or something that's like his personal collaborator Mm. Like the the only thing either of them have really ever done is things with each other. Yeah. So there was like no vetting, no casting. This is just like, hey, Pete, I got this great idea. You'd be great for this. Just a setup for disaster because it's kind of this like brainchild of just a couple people and not, um, you know, something larger with a little bit of uh, backing for it. And then Pete Davidson. I don't have a personal problem with the man seems fine, but he's never showed me any indication that he's even remotely a good actor. He's not even that good on SNL. If you ask me and besides for having some long lips and being from New York city, it seems to be the only things that would uh, allow him to play this role in the first place. Joey Ramone deserves respect. He deserves justice. He deserves class. Okay, and they have a great weight on their shoulders here. And I'm not going to roll it out until I see it. But let's just say I'm pessimistic. Benny, I'm going to say that you're missing the boat on Davidson a little bit. Uh, His movie that he did with Judd Apatow, The King of Staten Island, was very good. So he can go there emotionally. That movie was great. But it was his story. This is another right. person's story. So it's going to be very interesting. But, I mean, I, I think it's a huge chance for him because if you nail this, well, you're in Remy Malik, uh, Chadwick Boseman in, in terms of, like, making an iconic role your own while still doing it justice. Now, can we get there? That that, that remains to be seen. But, I mean, you had the or, Adam Driver thing. You had, like, you had, yeah, like it was right there. Yeah, yeah, so, and... I think, you know, the other thing that I immediately thought with this, right, uh, when I I read the headline was, Benny, this was a season arc on Entourage. Like, a kid (laughs) from New York, you know, who kind of has had a prolific past dating around, tried to do the Joey Ramone movie, and it kind of doesn't work too much. Or I don't think it even ever actually happened. Next yeah. thing, he, you know, he's going to do the try to do the Pablo Escobar story. Get into Medellin. Yeah, 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 like the Medellin <laughs> thing. So, man, uh, Pete Davidson is living the Vincent Chase life. And who can blame yeah. him? It seems great. 
Yeah, you brought up like the cases of when this works. Yeah. You didn't bring up the cases of when this doesn't work, which is more often than not. Yeah. Like like recently when uh Sasha Baron Cohen is randomly playing Abby Hoffman. Oh, you know, a man in his fucking an English man in his forties trying to play like a five foot eight Jew in his twenties yeah. in nineteen sixties. Or uh when Jason Siegel over there tried to play um What's his face? The author that's oh, not coming into my mind. The tour, uh, yeah. Wallace. Like, Wait, uh, Buster Wallace, yeah. Yeah, like like more often than not, when these comedians especially make the, and we just said two people yeah. who I would deem more legitimate actors. So mm. I don't know, man. This is just like I said, if I was a betting man, if this could be on <laughs> DraftKings, it probably fucking is. <laughs> I'm betting against this this being above a a four on Rotten Tomatoes. So we don't think it's going to be Angela Bassett playing Tina Turner. And no. what's love got to do with it? Okay, just making sure. I know. <laughs> Pete Davidson can't even get that yoked. Oh, man. All right, Benny, from New York, we're going to move it out to L.A. now. And actor Jaleel White, whose character, you know, famous from Family Matters, Steve Urkel, was a cultural mainstay of the 90s, is getting into the cannabis business with his own brand, reported by Forbes. Uh, he's calling it It's Purple, you know, trying to be like, it's Urkel, it's purple. Okay, cool. Um, which he's producing with 710 Labs, uh, <laughs> comprises variations of uh, a purple Urkel strain, it's Purple will launch in California in about two weeks. Other names considered for the company, Whoa Mama and Did I Do Hash. Uh, but, Benny, what do you make of Jaleel joining the growing number of celebrities getting into the cannabis business? I think it's good. I think it's funny. I have no opinion on this man whatsoever. I have no idea what he's been doing. He's a really cool all guy, these by years, the way. Be- besides for what he was. Yeah. But um, I think a lot of people are making money in this industry. And he uniquely has been named after a weed. <laughs> Purple Urkel's been around a long time. And, you know, he knew about it. And I'm sure once all these states legalized and people are taking his name and you're actually in a weird way watching someone make money on your NIL, you know, <laughs> someone's going to have to do uh, NIL contract work for weed now. But um, I think it's cool. The thing I like about it, it seems like he's taking it seriously. Uh, apparently he has another strain called Stefan, hmm. which was a reference to his, uh, the charming, uh, alter ego yeah. he had on family matters. <laughs> but I thought it was interesting that he, he partnered with 710 labs and the founder of 710 labs was quoted saying, we tend to let the product speak for itself. But over the years, Jaleel and I became friends and organically our conversations developed. He was on a journey to find the real purple Urkel from back in the early 2000s. Not only that, he wanted to find the most flavorful purple cultivars and had been collecting seeds with his friend over over all these years just for this purpose. So I don't know if you know this, Denny. Like, you can't just be like, oh, I'm going to grow purple Urkel now. You need the seed. Mm -hmm. And the seeds can be really expensive and hard to procure to get a certain strain of weed. I'd imagine... They're probably getting even more difficult as more money is getting into it because people are probably, you know, tightening up the industry. So the fact that he's been doing all this work for so long, like I got to give him credit. Like he deserves to make some money. Go Jaleel. I'll smoke it. You know what I love about L.A.? It's like if you were like on a TV show and you know, you still may be getting work from time to time. I think of him. I think of people like Freddie Prince Jr., these dudes are so accessible and their network in that town is so big because, you know, they're lifers. And, and, and when you're somewhere for life, like yeah. you get to know, I know a bunch of people in, in like sports that like know both those guys like really well because it's like, you know, they're just around, they're around and you hang out and, and you yeah. get to know these people. Uh, imagine the random cast of characters that was at like Jaleel White's wedding or something, <laughs> you know, probably like Sean Astin for some reason. You got like. You know, Leo DiCaprio's from Los Angeles. They probably like went to high school together or something. You know? I see the cannabis business. I, you know, it's not too long where you're going to have these like Estee Lauder like commercial be like, maybe he's born with it. Maybe it's Maybelline and like just like cheesy shit that just goes on for 30 minutes. 
um, on, on like YouTube or something like that. Brad Pitt's gonna just say like poignant statements like "ooh," and then just hit hit you with the blue magnolia. <laughs> it, it's all going in that glitzy glamour direction. It's like, sad, but it's true. It's like the movie How High. <laughs> Method Man's like, "What's that smell? <laughs> oh, that's my scent. Can't buy for men." All right, Benny, switching gears now. Brooklyn Nets center LaMarcus Aldridge announced on Twitter on Thursday that he is retiring from the NBA after experiencing an irregular heartbeat during his final appearance with the team. Uh, This comes less than two months after Aldridge and four other Spurs players tested positive for COVID-19. He said in a statement on Twitter, for 15 years I put basketball first, and now it is time to put my health and my family first. Aldridge, who's 35, said he experienced irregular heartbeat during the Nets game against the Lakers on Saturday. Um, After after the game, his condition worsened. Benny, with the with this retirement and, and other players having tested positive, guys like Jason Tatum saying that they now need an inhaler after having COVID, does NBA and sports at large have a much bigger problem on their hands? I mean, we may. Like, you know, I don't want to play a doctor based on two right. of these things and say that they're not anecdotal. I mean, I don't know if LaMarcus Aldridge was going to get this regardless, if he had this, if they just found it. I don't know, but it seems as if it's related, does it not? Um, A bunch of athletes, I mean, even before Tatum, have talked about these long-term effects and how they don't feel quite right. They're kind of jumping these guys back in, and, you know, you're not seeing people get right for a good month, two months, until, uh, you know, it's, it's obviously such a big hit and toll on your body, and... I don't think we're going to have any idea of some of the long-term implications of what it's doing to your heart and lungs uh, until you have some really bizarre case studies like exactly what we're seeing. So I think uh, there's a good chance it's related, and I think it's scary, and I think these athletes, you know, I'm sure they will use these cautionary tales, but... um, be careful when they're getting back and take it slow. And, you know, this is all about health. I think that this is a much bigger problem that, that sports is going to have to reckon with. It's It may be the NBA's version of CTE down the line. I mean, like, you're going to have mm. these guys who sacrificed for the league. And we've been saying this for a long time on this podcast. You know, we put profits ahead of these players' safety. And that's that's a really disappointing thing. And this is, you hope it's not a trend. But, I mean, what are the odds that two stars, I mean, not to mention the rest of the guys in this league, who, if this happened to them, it, it'd be not even a headline. But two yeah. stars. So the, the likelihood of that, it's insane to me. And it, it just seems like the tip of an iceberg that we may get to eventually. It's scary. Yeah, I hope not, but but it does it does seem that way. I know I know it's felt like the longest uh like 14 months in everybody's mm-hmm. life, but in the great scale of medicine and science and the arc of uh what you need to learn, it's still in its infancy. I know it's hard to imagine because of how long this process has felt yeah. so far. But yeah, there's still going to be a lot to learn and a lot more hiccups along the way, you know. Now, Benny, I got to ask you this follow-up. What do you think this means for the Nets? What are the options? I mean, because we talked about last week, what's their crunch time five in the playoffs, and Aldridge was our five guy. So now what does this mean for the Nets going forward? Yeah, it's significant. It's actually really significant, especially uh, watching that game last night and watching what Joel Embiid can do when Mm. he feels like it, you know? he's just knocking DeAndre Jordan out of the way, knocking these guys out of the way. And there's not a lot of answers for that in the league besides for a lot of bodies. Yeah. You know, uh, Blake is obviously not that healthy. Mm. Can't defend centers. Like that's not really an option. So going into the playoffs now, we're looking at a solid rotation of DeAndre Jordan and Nick Claxton. Um, And every opportunity they can get to play small, running Jeff Green or Blake or KD at the five, they'll, they'll do it to give these guys spells. But, um, yeah, I, it, it's, it's a serious issue. I think uh, Aldridge was being put into the playoff plans pretty heavily 
and now they're going to have to pivot off that. And I'm not even sure who, who would be available on the buyout market. The good thing is they do have one roster spot available, so it's not going to be yeah. a total waste. But you're not going to get a LaMarcus Aldridge in, in the buyout market. Not Tyson Chandler's kicking around. Oh, my gosh. What is he, on the coaching staff? They could bring, bring Amari. Is, 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 is this yeah, Amari's yeah, bring Amari up. <laughs> I mean, you know, you give me a Tyson Chandler to come in and just, like, foul somebody for nine minutes a game, it might be useful. I don't know. You know it's gonna happen. I feel like somehow, some way, Robin Lopez is gonna make his way up to to Brooklyn. I don't know how it's gonna happen, but it I just... mean, I don't know how that's even possible, <laughs> but I would take it if it was. All right, Benny, we have some baseball goss to get into. Baseball bat. Honestly, it's it's this story hits baseball, basketball, and music. So you know we had to get it's into perfect. it on this show. Um, Benny, A-Rod and J-Lo. You know, we've talked about Alex Rodriguez. We've called them all sorts of names on this pod. A-Rod and J-Lo have officially broken up. The couple confirmed NBC's Today Show on Thursday morning. You know, we've called A-Rod a clout chaser on this. And I've had this theory that A-Rod is a serial user. And that, ironically, has been part of this story as Page Six is reporting that A-Rod's recent discussion to become an owner of the Minnesota Timberwolves appeared to be a signal that the engagement was over. Now, Mm -hmm. Benny, we got to break this down, right? So um, the story goes that days before they confirmed their breakup, the New York Post reported that former Yankee slugger Alex Rodriguez was (laughs) finalizing a deal to purchase the Minnesota Timberwolves with close friend Mark Lohr, okay? You know, attaching his money to somebody else's money and not J-Lo. J-Lo and A-Rod were trying to go in to buy the Mets together. That went to Steve Cohen for better or or for worse. So, Benny, we got to start here with this story. Do you think the Minnesota Timberwolves tanked A-Rod and J-Lo's relationship? (laughs) I mean, it kind of – doesn't it play out a little bit like, um, you know, guy's been married for a while, gets divorced, (laughs) and then like two days later – Shows up to pick up his kids with like a Lamborghini. cherry red convertible, <laughs> like midlife crisis car. Yeah, I think the Timberwolves are like his, like his, like breakup <laughs> midlife crisis purchase, but he's Alex Rodriguez, so it's a basketball team instead of like a you know Mazda Miata or something like that. Yeah, so <laughs> I, that's kind of the way it seems to me. I have the follow up question you texted yeah. me earlier with this Instagram story of A-Rod panning by his A-Rod and J-Lo love things. Yeah. When is this story dated? Today. He posted today. it today. He is oh. a psychopath. He is what doing, is happening? He is doing what a psychopath thinks yeah. a normal person would do during a relationship. I, Benny, I know you and I have broken up, been broken up with people. I would yeah. never have a shrine to this person, have A-Rod, J-Lo in a yeah. heart with an arrow. Like, like what kind of yeah. 90s rom-com is, is this guy living in? No, that's not 90. You just went to like Cape Fear. That's like the social media version of like stabbing a tire and then like starting to change it when she gets home from work. Being like, hey, I just saw this flash trying to help you out. Like that's the social media Wait, version of that. Okay. Is creepy. Is A Rod Carrie Underwood in Before He Cheats, where he's like, "I slashed his <laughs> yeah. tires, I did everything." Oh, but Stay wait loose. a minute! Get my hands off my truck. <laughs> um, yeah, I don't know. It is creepy, but I mean, listen, they were in love. They're human beings. Yeah. I wish them well. I hope everything works out for the two of them. But yeah, that kind of plays right into it. Now it, it's also being reported that. J-Lo has kept A-Rod's ring, which, you know, I'm going to strike this one up as a victory for the Bronx, considering A-Rod stole a ring from the Bronx in 2008, but he's coming (laughs) back, so we're even, we're done, but it just seems like... I mean, isn't isn't Jennifer Lopez, like, half famous for being from the Bronx? Yeah, she's Jennifer from the Bronx. So, I mean, the fact that the ring is kind of going back to the Bronx, in a way... A-Rod's an outsider. He was never a New Yorker. Yeah. You know, I enjoyed the title. Thanks for the home runs in 2009. <laughs> but yeah, like uh, I kind of like the vibe of that uh, all around. I mean, listen, he's the highest paid player in history, yeah. right? Yeah. $450 million in, in, in earnings. Like the thing. All right. So can we talk about A-Rod just as an owner now? Yeah. Yes. Yes, please. Okay. I was just going to ask you that. Yeah. So. 
like you said, he's got the backing of a billionaire, one of his buddies. I don't know what his actual financial, you know, investment is, but there's a couple of things that pop up. It's like, A, the owners are always very concerned about like the look and like what it could do to the team and stuff like that. A-Rod has been through the ringer publicly. Like, what yeah. are you going to do to this guy anymore that he hasn't already done to himself? So as far as like being a celebrity and stuff like that, like, I mean, in a way, the only way he can go is up unless he really, mm. really fucks up like something bad, you know, Shout out Clay Bennett. because he's literally hated by almost everyone. And the fact that he has that vibe, like now the problem I hope he gets over is that A-Rod's biggest fault was like, he never knew how good he was and he always needed yeah. this validation of other people. And that's where he's the opposite of Derek Jeter. And the reason that this could go bad because he can't just do the work, say the right thing, let it play out on the field. Mm. You know, the Derek Jeter way, like he can't do it. <laughs> he's never, he's going to stumble over his own feet, say too much, do too much. So in that regard, I think it could get sloppy fast. But I did a little digging here for us, Denny. Mm. You'll appreciate how deep I went. Now, I was looking at some blogs on www.dunkingwithwolves.com, the Minnesota Timberwolves fan site. Mm -hmm. And uh, their main columnist on there said, it goes without saying the couple's star power could do wonders for the franchise's credibility with current and future players as well as some added interest on the international stage for a franchise that really only has had Kevin Garnett and the late Prince. Oh, and Craig Kilborn in the category of legitimate pop culture relevancy that would matter. So I think from like a, a Minnesota Timberwolves fans perspective who they've never been able to land a free agent in their life, uh, you know, kind of sees this as maybe like a door to a different type of team and maybe being a destination of some sort. So, you know, maybe it gives a little hope to the uh, normal Timberwolves fan for that. So a couple things about this deal. So Glenn Taylor, current owner of the Minnesota Timberwolves, uh, has been a big reason why basketball is in Minnesota and has stayed in, in Minnesota. So that's going to be his legacy. So it, it's not just like a open and, and shut deal. There's a two-year runway where Mark Lohr, uh, shout out to Lynn Croft, New Jersey's own Mike Lohr, Jet.com, oh. partnering with A-Rod here. Um, so there's a two-year runway where they would learn how to run a basketball team, okay, before Glenn Taylor gives everything away. That's number one. But the, the second thing is they're trying to put language in, in the contract, a lot like what the Bucks had uh, when Lassery and Edens took over, to keep the team in Milwaukee. Uh, and now th this would obviously be for Minneapolis. Uh, and you've got to make sure that it's – that they're stand-up owners. I'm pretty sure Mark Lore would keep it in, and he's most of the capital. But you like with with Arod getting all of the shine here. I mean, I would if I'm the town of Seattle, I would be very happy. But in terms of basketball in Minnesota, I, I would be very scared here. See, that's the thing. That's where I think Arod's need for public perception stops him from doing shit like that. Yeah. Like the reason to go do that would be like a financial decision, a smart decision, like a down the road decision. I think at this point he is incapable of making a decision where he would knowingly be hated. I don't because think that's like what he fears. But you know? would he be hated though? Because think about it. You know, he leaves Seattle. People are kind of pissed about, about that whole thing. What greater gift could he give to that city? And be like, I, I brought, brought the back Sonics back. I brought the Sonics it sucks. back. It, it, I left for the Texas Rangers, but, but then I, I brought the yeah. Sonics back. I yeah, I get, I mean, there's it's romantic. I could see it. Uh, a Rod, stay out, out of basketball. I know, you know, I've heard down from people in South Florida that growing up, apparently A Rod was a bucket. Like, okay, um, but oh, I can see him being able to ball for sure. This guy, he's got height, he's got size. Listen, guy like that, you could probably play any sport he wants. He's, I mean, are we going to sit here and say A Rod's not a great athlete anymore? I mean, no, no, we're not. not but there. I mean, I don't think he could. Uh, listen, 
anybody, right? Like, there's a difference between being a bucket and being like a bucket. Like, anyone's good in like pickup, but you put them up up next against NBA players or even college players. Not sure that goes well for Alex Rodriguez. Just saying. <laughs> all right. I don't know why I felt that way about A Rod, but oh, all this oh, came came all out of me. All sorts of ways. Yeah. Oh my gosh! All right, all right, Benny. Final story today. Uh, MLS is set to begin their 2021 campaign. Their season starts this weekend, and there's a new team in the mix. That's right, Austin FC. And Benny, the side is co-owned by none other than Matthew Matthew McConaughey. But mm-hmm. McConaughey isn't done just there. He's not just an owner. He, his okay. title, he is the minister of culture for this club uh what's a minister of culture you may ask well i have an explanation for you mcconaughey said in a statement on mls.com for a team that's going to be representing the city of austin i need to be there as someone who knows austin really well and that that the team can mirror the image and vice versa uh the team and the product we put on on the pitch and the fan experience in the stadium that's my goal my goal as as minister of culture is trying to align the fan experience with the team Pretty ambitious there. Uh, when you take a snapshot above Q2 Stadium, and I'm trying to put my best McConaughey on it, on, <laughs> on any given nut, oh, God, that that got real offensive real quick. <laughs> yeah, <what's> the- <laughs> <laughs> uh, when you take- keep, keep it going for my own entertainment. <laughs> when, when you take a snapshot more, above... <laughs> more McConaughey, Denny. I said when you take a snapshot about Q2 Stadium I'll say it, I'll say it. on any given night that we play, you should be able to see in the crowd the diversity, the creative colors, and the vibrance of Austin, Texas. Hook them horns. <laughs> Benny, okay. what do you make of this? And what would your title be? What would your title with okay. whatever team you want be? All right. I thought of a few. Yeah. Okay. First off, I think your accent was a little more southeast. <laughs> You're going to have to work on your regional diction. Um, okay, so I thought of three for my favorite, my personal favorite sports teams. Yeah. Okay, for the New York Yankees, mm-hmm. I would like to be concessions consultant. Mm. Okay, or, can I offer a suggestion? How about yes. concessions conciliary? Ah, even better. <laughs> okay, perfect. Now, what I would do first, first order of business is just garlic fries <laughs> and knish. Are widely available at any. No more of this kosher corner bullshit. Mm. You know, we'll still have the kosher corner for the kosher people, but let's mainstream conditions. Yeah, they should be in the they should be in the I main area. A delicious snack, garlic fries. If you're sitting in like the two hundreds over by left field and you want some garlic fries, you're on like a two inning journey. <laughs> Go get yeah. garlic fries. So I want to have them all around the stadium. And then the only other thing I want to do is I'd like to interview the people who walk up and down the aisles selling peanuts and beer and cotton candy. I have a very high standard. There is a very New York way to be a person who does that at Yankee Stadium, and I need it very specific. So I'd like to interview the people who are doing that. Okay, moving on. Yeah. For the Brooklyn Nets, formerly the New Jersey Nets, still the New Jersey Nets in my heart, I'd like to be the cultural... Excuse me, cultural attache. Mm. I'm just going a little fancier than McConaughey it. here. <laughs> it would be Drake style. I'd be courtside. I'd schmooze. And then I'd like some sort of like gold card to go out about the city and take care of my people if I'd need to. <laughs> so just more of like a face of the franchise, you know, the Spike Lee Drake of the Brooklyn Nets. That could be me with the name cultural attache i love that maybe i get to meet joey badass finally (laughs) now for the giants the new york football giants who i still do love i'd like to be president of public relations an unfireable position (laughs) now what i'm going to do here is i'm going to make the giants the most obnoxiously woke organization (laughs) in sports just for fun even way more liberal and woke than i would ever be i'm going to make them the beacon and light of a woke sports franchise just so I can watch the beefcakes and their Giants construction helmets weep like children. I could see that going over so well. Be like, hey, my name's Tony Cacciatore. What the fuck? Oh, you're going, man, 
You're going for every type of white cultural appropriation. You oh, can do. man. But yeah, it's I all fe- fair. It's I feel like fair. I'm like low key allowed, right? Like you're like allowed to make fun of your own shit, right? I think that's how I mean, goes. listen, listen, if, <laughs> if you just told me your name, I'd assume you were a New York City firefighter or a cop. So, you know. <laughs> oh, that's not fair. <laughs> the, see, I I get it from both ends because it's like if I'm Denny with two ends, right? I'm a fucking Southern diner bumpkin place sure. where you go to get shit faced. Some do have alcohol, but on like the other hand, then oh, that's interesting. Yeah. yeah, if you had an extra N, I'm a whole different person. You should have another first name to attach. Yeah, it's like, like Denny it's like John, Denny Bob. Yeah, Denny something starring in the next edition of bad news bears yeah, um, you're basically uh you're basically <laughs> in contention to be an active shooter at that point oh sweet jesus all right benny let, <laughs> let me give you my titles okay i came okay. up with a, a yeah. couple here so for one you know there's not many teams that i actively watch all the time anymore because you know trying to do stuff for work and it's like i gotta sure. I, I have to watch a lot of games so my two teams market basketball and the milwaukee bucks okay, okay. so my first my, my title for market basketball I want to be Marquette Basketball's Deacon of Dance. Ooh, okay, that's right. I feel what does like that require um, that you know that would require you know I'm in charge of assigning all of like the pregame handshakes for all of the players. Um, I have to do you know I have to remix some religious songs so that we can like play them <laughs> okay. pregame. You know, really, really leaning into the Jesuit angle of my education. And my career as a radio producer in, in yeah. New York City. So bringing all of that and trying not to appropriate culture, that's my entire job description. Love being it. white, but not going over the line. Sure, sure. My second, I love the idea of modernizing Jesuit tunes. That sounds great. <laughs> I'm going to... It's 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 gonna go from like mm, to like trap and it's real it perfect. It's gonna be bussin' as the kids say. Sounds great. <laughs> okay. Sounds great. My second title for the Milwaukee Bucks, I want to be uh the Cream City Commander of Cold Ones and Cream. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Great name. What does this guy do? Uh, you know, this dude has to uh Make sure that we're not letting in any subpar beers that are not from Wisconsin into the Pfizer mm-hmm. Forum and are shitty. So okay. PBR, you know, they've kind of forgotten about Milwaukee a little bit. You know, the, they started there, but have kind of grown and moved past the bridges. We're going to make sure that none of this PBR seltzer gets into the Pfizer Forum. White Claws only, by the way. Oh. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, and then, you know, i got to make sure that the – in. The cream part of my job. Well, I feel like I feel like the Bucks have gotten a little loose with the term cream and the whole cream city thing. We just want to make sure we're not making any sort of sexual innuendos <laughs> that really embarrasses Southeast Wisconsin. That's what I'm trying to do. As the- put some periods in and go for the Wu Tang angle. <laughs> can I can I ask? Uh, can I request something from you? Yes. From this job, if you solidify this job and you can do some hiring. <laughs> Uh, could you bring me on as manager of curd control? Please? Oh, oh my gosh. Curd control. Of course. Of course. Thank you. Thank you. Oh my gosh. I love all of the alliteration that we just hit up in, in, in this segment. <laughs> Benny, let's wrap up with going to the tune-up mailbag, okay? You've got mail. We have a couple of questions coming in. Uh, you can you can always tweet at us at the tune-up HQ on Twitter and Instagram. And our very first question... We need a mailbag jingle. Oh, yeah, we do. All right. We got to get back in the studio and put something together. Um, our very first question comes from Sean. Shout out to all of our listeners Hi, over in Ireland. Um, and he, he he goes back to the Outcast-Beatles debate from last week. He says, mm-hmm. on the subject of Outcast versus the Beatles, which band would do a better cover version of the other band's song? Love this question. He goes on to say, I feel like the Beatles could give Hey Ya the She Loves You treatment. However, imagine Outcast doing Come Together a la The Way You Move. I'm into it, Sean. Benny, your thoughts. Uh, this one, this is like a clear, <laughs> clear-cut winner. Yeah. Outcast doing the Beatles. Yeah. Is the only possible way this goes. I don't want to hear Paul McCartney attempt an outcast song right now or whatever the fuck would happen. You let the cutting edge thing cover the old thing. So I would much prefer outcast covering the Beatles at this point. I think your instinct is right, Sean. I want Sorry Miss Jackson to the tune of uh, Blackbird, and I feel like that'd be <laughs> fucking dope. <laughs> Could be great. 
That sounds like some Metallica Lou Reed shit. I, I don't know if I'm into that. Outcast needs some more. Uh, they're not didgeridoos, but like you know what I'm talking about. What Lee. a sitar? Yeah. Outcast oh, needs more sitar. More sitar. Hundred <laughs> percent. They just got to bring. It. If Outcast does that, they just have to bring in J Cole to do their wardrobe because he's got the '60s shit on point. All right. Thank you, Sean, for that question. Yeah, thanks, Sean. Thanks uh, for listening. All right. We have uh, our guy, Neil. Neil. Friend of the program. Um, he's got two questions for us. Okay. So uh, we'll, we're going to start off with, uh, you know, we got a basketball one here from Neil. Uh, he said, what was the deal behind? What was the deal? Uh, man, man, me with the voices today. Okay. Uh, what was the deal behind the Nets' entire roster out for a game this week? And how does the basketball team work when this happens, such as a small roster? Well, Neil. Uh, chess. Yeah. It was chess. Yeah. Chess, chestnut checkers. Yeah. Yeah, It really was this week. You're not going to send a half banged up roster with Katie coming back. Kyrie logging miles, no Harden. You're just not putting up that team against the healthy Sixers right now. I think you're waiting for the playoffs. You don't let them see the full enchilada until you get to the playoffs. Um, it's not like the Nets have a choice right now to develop chemistry. They don't. Yeah. Everything for the Nets is going to be chemistry on the fly from here on. Everybody knows it. There's no time. So when, by the time everybody gets healthy, it's going to be chemistry on the fly. So I'm not really too worried about that. And I think when you're facing your potential foe in the East and the team, I think that stands the largest chance of blocking your path, you don't go in half-assed late in the season with a game you don't have to win Mm. and show all your cards so i think it was a strategy last night yeah no i mean neil the important thing to remember when it comes to this is that for teams that know that they are title contenders the regular season as long as you don't finish seven or eight and end up in the play-in tournament and you have some room to experiment you're trying out rosters you're seeing what's going to work for crunch time and that's what the Nets are doing here. Some nights you may have a seven, eight-man rotation. Um, and on nights, you know, they, they used to refer to them as scheduled losses when they would be back-to-backs. Right. Um, and, and that's what's happening here. Steve Nash is, is seeing what he has in the rest of his team. Because when it gets to the playoffs, you're going to need everybody on this roster. That's right. And I really don't see the Nets. You know, I like some of these, you know, uh, more bottom tier teams in the East. I think they're good teams, but I don't think the Nets realistically, if they're going in healthy, have anyone but the uh, Bucks or the Sixers to worry about. So getting through those first couple of rounds shouldn't be a problem. I don't think they're worried about slipping into the two or three seed. And yeah, I wouldn't worry about it. Completely agree. I know last week I was like, if the season ended today, Brooklyn is my champion. I've got to swing the pendulum back to yeah. the Lakers, even though the Phoenix Suns are playing the best basketball right now. Sure. And this is coming from a Kevin Durant fantasy yeah. basketball owner. <laughs> I did not want to see him get a DNP last night. Yeah, no, oh. that's that's, ba- that's bad for business. Not good for my playoff run. And then we have one more from Neil here. He's like, Benny, this is a you question. He's like, whatever happened to wax bottles? I really like oh. that EP they put out a few years back. It's It's sad. Not, not that sad. People move. Nobody died. Mm. Um, <laughs> we had started wax bottles serendipitously in Jersey City because uh, Jimmy from Polar Bear Club was living in Jersey City very close to me. And Nate and uh, his wife, Jazz, were also living in Brooklyn at the time. So we were practicing at my space in Jersey City. Everything worked out great. Made this beautiful EP. Thanks for listening to it. It's one of the my favorite things I've done in years. I think the wax bottles EP is fantastic. Um, and we played our show and the boys had to move back to upstate New York <laughs> to Rochester. And it just like one of those things you attempt to do it digitally a little, but we couldn't really piece it together and just had to let it slide. So that's a short lived one EP band, I'm afraid. But uh, Jimmy just put out uh, a new record. The band's called Shy Tooth. I think it's kind of the extension of where Wax Bottles was going. So check it out. But I appreciate you listening. It is one of the sad uh, records of my life. Not because I think it's bad. I think it's great. But I don't think it got 
uh, as many ears on it as as it deserved. Maybe. So hopefully at the very end of a tune-up podcast, we'll get a three or four extra ears. Maybe we could, uh, <laughs> you know, feature a few wax bottle songs going forward. You know, right. if we have, because eventually with a podcast, you get tired of the theme song. So who who knows? Who knows? Oh, easy. <laughs> you played on both. It's taking nothing out of your pockets. What are you talking about? <laughs> um, all right, final question today. And you know, gosh, we love when Emily comes in the fold asking her question. She gets she she wants to ask a macro question today. She's like, "What's the most controversial topic we discussed on the show?" Ooh, it, what's the most controversial we've ever covered on this program? Yeah, hmm, it has to be. I mean. I mean, I guess like, you know, we did get into, you know, the, you know, the George Floyd stuff last yeah. year, but I don't think our takes were particularly controversial. No, but um, we did get blowback from that though. My God. Yeah. yeah, that's true. So maybe that it doesn't feel controversial. Yeah. Oh, maybe your anti-Madonna take. Oh, that's not might con- be the most controversial thing we've dealt with. <laughs> um <laughs> I don't know. What do you think? I gotta say, I think maybe you know the Lil Nas X stuff was definitely a contender, right? Because that was like the one thing where I like listen back and be like, man, some of the stuff I said, I stand by. But it's like, whew, I have some people in my life that are not gonna be thrilled with some of those opinions. I mean, I've gone public <laughs> for Van Hagar a number of times. It's usually not a not a good look publicly. I don't know. I got to think about yeah, that one. Yeah. I but but to be clear about something is, I've had an issue with most of my life being offensive while not really knowing it. Yeah. So like like I've offended a lot of people <laughs> totally by accident. The BBC. So I would assume the most offensive thing I've said on this show is probably something I didn't even think twice about. Yeah. So I think maybe, Emily, I think maybe you should tell me. Yeah, I, I, I think. And if you at all know what the most offensive thing or the most controversial thing we've said yeah. on the show, feel free to email us at the tuneup podcast at gmail.com, two Ps in there. Uh, if you want to also get in contact with the show, tweet us, DM us, do all of the things at the tune-up HQ on Twitter, Instagram, TikTok. We're everywhere. If you want to follow the big man, he's at Benny Horowitz. One, number one in your mind, number one in your heart, number one on Twitter. I am at Denny underscore Gallagher. Benny, got anything else? Yeah, how's this for controversy? White Claw tastes like piss. You've been listening to The Tune-Up. <laughs>